From the Medical Republic, I'm Wendy John. Thanks for joining me. If you're a researcher or have a friend who is, this episode is especially for you. Joining us today is Kylie Ahern. She's a well-known figure in the science comms world. In 2004, Kylie launched Australia's top-selling science magazine, Cosmos, and kind of smashed it out of the field. She's been pretty much hitting sixes ever since then. Right now, Kylie Ahern is publisher of The Brilliant. It's an online magazine that spotlights brilliant scientists around the world and she is founder of another startup called STEM Matters, which helps research institutes, universities, academics, helps them to create communications and content strategies that help build their profile and influence with an end goal to garner more funding and collaborations. Kylie Ahern, thanks so much for joining us today in the Tea Room. Wendy, I'm delighted to be here. Tell us briefly about STEM Matters and what you do. So STEM Matters is a science content and communication agency for the STEM sector. So we work with governments, universities, corporates and research institutes in engaging people with science and primarily through thinking about what content do they want to communicate and how and on what platforms. And what is the end goal for a lot of those researchers and institutes? It always comes down to influence and funding. Often it's, sometimes it's about changing people's perspective, but really it comes back to the fact that science needs to be funded and, or you need government to do something. And so therefore you need to engage people and not just assume that they know about what you're doing and why. And in the whole science communication space, building trust is kind of central to all of that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you look at COVID and the amount of oral climate and you look at the amount of misinformation out there in a void, voices will come in and fill it up. It's the same with health. And it's not necessarily scientists' fault that, you know, there is COVID misinformation, but I think it's a there is a call to a learning from all of this that if you're not out there communicating your research and building audiences around it, and even if it's a small audience, then other people will, will come in and fill that space. And people with less information have a lot more confidence around what they're communicating. It's a very unfortunate fact, isn't it? That's right. It's the confidence of someone who doesn't know anything to know much <laughs> to go out and say things. And look, we're all probably guilty of it. We hear something and we go down the coffee shop and go, oh, I heard about this. But social media and the media itself is that writ large. But it's also, I think, true in some respects that researchers who are brilliant, the research happening in medical science at the moment is remarkable. And many of our listeners are involved in that space, but they won't necessarily feel comfortable about promoting themselves or getting on socials and building a following and building a profile. Look, a lot of that comes from fear. And that's a really normal thing when you try something new and you just have to practice and learn. And it's, it's a little bit about resilience. I mean, you know, when becoming a doctor took a long time, it took training or do, becoming a researcher, there's time and training and that goes into that and all learnings as well. So I think that being fearful is not a good enough reason or saying you've got a bad experience isn't a good enough reason. If you're passionate about, if you see an opportunity to change minds and hearts, I think you've got to just step into that and and try. And there's, you know, there's got, always going to be people who troll. Well, you don't necessarily, I haven't been trolled, but, you know, a lot of people have been. But I, I, don't, I, don't, think, I don't think 
it's a bit like falling in love. You know, sometimes you fall in love and you get your heart broken. Does that mean you sort of hide away? You know, we've if you have one bad experience, don't hold on to that so much. And people tend to do that with media. Scientists and researchers, I hear it a lot. Oh, well, you know, I got badly misquoted or this person said this. And, you you know, if you've got had a bad experience, you know, in the words of Frozen, let it go. Easier said than done, but really sound advice there. Does it have to all be about socials though? No, I mean, I think you have to choose for me, what I see in communication and engagement, so it's more around engagement, right? Communication is one way engagement is around that conversation. But what I see is the innovation is coming mainly from individuals who are sick of something, who or didn't see themselves reflected in in the university or school or they want to change something. They don't think there's enough about a particular topic and they'll choose a platform. So some people, it might be just public speaking or getting involved in community groups. Other people build bigger brands and you don't have to be you don't have to think I'm going to be the next Neil deGrasse Tyson or a Dr. Carl it's about what what were you and and if it's something you're unconfident about starting to build up that confidence like for me I'm great behind the scenes I hate public speaking I do I do try and do a bit of it now but I tend to focus on stories and that's how I've always done things so you just have to find what works for you. I've met, I remember I went to an ophthalmologist last year and he was showing me these beautiful illustrations of the eye that he uses to communicate health around retinas. So he's communicating and he's using a medium that works for him, illustration. Did he draw the No, he got someone else to draw them. But, uh, but he commissioned it. Yeah, he commissioned it because he, oh, he wow. felt that he couldn't show people what he wanted. And, in fact, that's how a, a science magazine in Japan started called Newton many years ago is a couple said to a scientist, we don't know how to get our kid into science, and the scientist said you should do drawings and illustrations. So they commissioned out illustrations. They had a bit of money. And uh, <laughs> that became the basis of a magazine. In fact, that scientist was one of the scientists who you see in Godzilla movie, you know, the guys with the thick glasses. But, yeah, that's how it, things start from a problem. Things start from you want to change things, you want to engage, you go out and you can't find what you need. You know, some people write books. Some people write poetry. It's all about what works for you as a human rather than going, I have to create and be overwhelmed by a big brand. It's better to do something once a month, you know, and do 12 things a year than do 50 rubbish things. You know, I see people put out content all the time that's rubbish and I think just a bit more focus and effort on quality and that's, that's what you should focus on and what works for you. It sounds like what you're saying is that those things that drive people to be good communicators about their science research are the same things that drive them to get into science research right. in the first place. That's right. That's right. So the problem is we need to change this. Yeah. It can be done. Yeah. it can. And look, it can be done. And I, I tend to think it's, you know, you might want to just write an e-newsletter to a bunch of friends about what's, what you're doing. I mean, that's a big trend now where people um, build newsletter lists, starts with a few friends, and then they, they talk about what's happening in their sector or space. So it's a, it, it, can be simple, it can be simple things that you do that you just want to influence some people in your lives and say, well, this is what's happening in this research at the moment. 
send it to your mum and three of your closest friends and it will grow. That's right. And or put it on, you know, and or put an article on on LinkedIn, do the e-newsletter and then put it on LinkedIn. Let's go down this path. What are some strategies? What are some top tips for promoting your research or starting to engage people around the work that you are doing? Okay, so 99% and, okay, well, I'm obviously, if someone were to test this, I might be 98, but (laughs) um, 99% of profiles are written for other researchers. They're not written for people to find or understand you or to know something about you it's it's for other researchers or other scientists and they're boring and I can't read them and I don't know what I mean I could you know I'm a science publisher but I shouldn't have to go to that much effort and as a media person if you're looking for someone to talk to on a topic you google them so if your researcher profile or your profile wherever it is isn't that interesting and doesn't tell me a bit about what you do and why that's really important to have that it's getting to know who your audience is. Is it other researchers or are you actually, your audience are the media and general population? Yeah. I mean, those profiles that you write for researchers, I'm not saying don't have them, but also have a profile for other people who the audience you want to reach. So I worked with the Queensland Brain Institute. I've created a publication for them around the brain. And the first issue was on concussion. And I happened to have lunch with a friend who was working at Google and I said, I'm working on this publication around the brain and the first issue is on concussion. He said, oh, that's so weird. I wish you'd done this earlier because we were doing a campaign with Samsung around concussion and we couldn't work out from Googling who the top researchers were. And it's just those incidental things that come up, you know, that you miss out on because you haven't written an engaging profile. My research is around understanding, you know, what cause concussion has on the brain and just explaining that like you'd explain it to your cousin at a barbecue. There's nothing wrong with writing things in a way that might seem simple to you but actually engages other people because remembering you spent all those years becoming an expert. You don't want someone to have to spend several years becoming an expert to understand what you do. That's not a reasonable expectation. And yet in academia, there's professional competitiveness and sometimes a bit of an unhealthy kind of an environment in in some universities where people feel they need to promote themselves as the biggest expert. And so using scientific terminology in, in their profiles is one way that that works. But you're saying that for the media, that can be counterproductive. And for, and for government, as well too because they're just normal people often and they just want to understand. I did I did something around AI, a, a video last year, and um, Ed Husick commented on LinkedIn. I didn't know that about AI. You know, he's very open. <laughs> but it was a very simple video and it was just explaining that AI isn't just about robots. It's about saving animals and lives and how it's being used. Um, and I did it in a very simple way, 100 words, 10 words a slide, And I used Canva, which I cannot suggest more highly. So that's my second tip is get onto Canva because it's democratised design and you can create wonderful imagery or videos if that's what you want to do. But it's a good way to use explainer videos around a topic and explainers are what I call evergreen content. So that's when you... um, they have a long shelf life. So you can create them once and they're there forever, like... What is a dinosaur? You know, when you Google it, in 2009, Australian Museum came up as number one and it still does in the text version of when you looked from what is a dinosaur. One piece of content worked over and over and over again. So if you went and had a look at explaining your area, and it can be super niche, 
that's fine. And you need to explain, and explain is really a good way to do it. Actually, if you go to my website, thebrilliant.com.au, I've got an explanation on how to do an expl- an explainer for an explainer. <laughs> and there's some great. good examples there too. So that's the second bit of content. So the first one's around your profile and the second one is explainers. In creating this kind of content, are university media teams helpful? Are they a help or a hindrance? Oh, look, it depends on how much work they've got on and it depends on what their expertise is. We tend to, communication roles have become a catch-all for around 10 to 20 jobs. And that is the challenge for university communication teams is the extraordinary breadth of expertise they're expected to have that's just, I think, unreasonable. Now, what did you mean when you said communication is not just something at the end? You mean at the end of the research when the paper is published? If you think, okay, well, we've got this paper coming out, just do a press release. Well, that puts a huge amount of pressure right on the end because you haven't built a relationship, you haven't built a profile around what you're doing. You have to think about if, if we've got a paper coming out in the next two years, what are the steps that I need to do to start building up interest around it? And that's when I go back to your profile. So you want to start building a profile. You want to start thinking about explainers. So when someone has questions around that piece of research, You've got some information on your website, your university website, on your LinkedIn page or your social media or your personal page where people can go to and you've already got a level of information there rather than this last, you know, the thin stuff of a press release. And the challenge for people in media as well is they will see the name of a researcher, they'll immediately go in and Google that person. If they can't find any information about them, then it's hard to know whether that person's going to be good talent to interview on a podcast or on radio or on television. Whereas if you've got some content, so an explainer video, or if you've done some speaking engagements and you've got those listed on your website, then the media person can say, the producer can say, oh, okay, so they've got some experience. They're probably going to be good talent. That's right. You're very much de-risking that. I, I agree with you there. And also when people go for more information or want to donate, this is they're not going to read a press release and build press releases don't build trust if that's all you've got. And that's what I did with the Queensland Brain Institute years ago. I created a strategy around the publication called The Brain and that that was their problem. They had press releases um, rather than a huge amount of content on The Brain and they've made tens of millions of dollars worth of donations off the back of having a content strategy. It's now embedded in how they do things. So when you say a content, as in a content strategy, building information that people can access online, such That's as right. explainers, such as blogs, social like LinkedIn posts, etc. Researchers know the questions and answers that people ask all the time. So if you were to list what are the five questions that people ask and then write content to that, that's a huge step in developing a great content strategy. What are the questions you're always asked and how do you answer them and what do you answer? And what and do then people start, want to know? And then start putting that out either in your in your monthly email newsletter, popping it up on LinkedIn, creating a little explainer slide on Canva. Yeah. People are very creative, are much more creative than they think they are. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's about what works. And it might be that you just want to do a small podcast or do some recordings around it or have a 30-second 
YouTube video and um, put that into the, you know, communications team would love content, um, but you just have to think about what you're doing and why. Who is the audience and what are you trying to do? What about grant funding? A scientist said to me a few years ago, Mark Hutchinson, who's now the president of Science and Technology Australia, is that scientists spend a huge amount of their time, disproportionate amount of their time applying for grant funding as opposed to building relationships with industry and government. And if they put a fraction of that time into doing that, that would help them get more money. Now, that's one perspective. The other perspective is on grant funding, people bury the lead. So what's the headline around what you're saying and what you're doing? This is often what I see in grant applications and when people are applying for awards. It's spending that time on what your key messages are. Like what are the most important and exciting things about you? It's really hard to do it on yourself. Sometimes you need some. You need to tell a friend, this is what I'm doing, and get them to tell you what's the exciting part around what you do so you can bring that to the top. Um, often you'll find that people and then that really punchy bit will be third or four, four paragraphs in. You want to lead with, I'm not saying hyperbole, but what is the most interesting thing that's going to grab someone's attention? Like a good newspaper headline. That's right. What would be the headline? What would be the one sentence about you? And that takes work. That is a lot of work. It's also a bit painful. It's so it's- painful, but you have to do it. And it's actually when you're writing your profile, if you don't know what your key messages are, that makes that harder when you're talking to the media and saying, this is what I do and why. Literally, you could say, this is what I do and why, and it gets you going. And write, write questions down for yourself that you want to answer. Back to the comment by Mark Hutchinson about building relationships with industry and government. What are some ideas around that? Because that's also, oh, we've got to go to networking, and networking is very different now uh, post-COVID. Yeah. But also net- networking, going along and, you know, squeezing the flesh. Isn't everyone's idea of fun? No. <laughs> no, God, it's tough, isn't it? Especially when you're an introvert. Um, but you don't necessarily have to do it via events. You, um, you know, cost what I'm doing. You know, can we have coffee? And we just talk about exchange ideas. Um, and if you take the pressure off yourself and say, I'm working on this, I'd love a coffee to talk about what we're doing. That's a trust-building exercise. Instead of you going in and asking for something, you're going in and talking. And I and it's the talking and the listening that leads to relationships as opposed to going in and asking. And you could also reach out and say, I'm keen to hear more about what your strategy is yeah. at the moment. What are you doing? And as a researcher, I'm interested. Yeah, what are your problems? Mm-hmm. What are you trying to solve? The more they tell you about them, the more that you can think, oh, okay, well, I'm doing this. Could that help them? You need to know about them more than they need to know about you. Mm. And if you go in with that perspective, then it's a very different, it goes from what we were talking about earlier, from communication to engagement. Um, Because you might be search, but you're not the expert of their organisation and what they're trying to do. Do you think volunteering in the capacity of Australian Rheumatology Association, RACGP, being involved in those organisations can be useful? Yeah, yeah. I, I, look, I think 
I've done those things where I've gone into organisations and I've been, you know, altruistically gone in and done stuff and not real and not expected anything, and they've been really important and pivotal things for my organisation. So I joined National Science Week when I was publisher of Cosmos. Um, they sort of <laughs> asked me to be chair and didn't give me much choice, and I just <laughs> thought, yeah, I better do it. Reluctantly did it because I was, you know, I didn't. I was busy. I wanted just to focus on my publication. Anyway, I did it. Um, It actually built the revenue of the business quite a lot because all of a sudden all these people who are in marketing in universities and government got to know me as a human and trust me. So it was a game changer. Really? Yeah. And I didn't go in expecting it and that's kind of important too. I just went in thinking I'll just give it my best shot. I'll help them out as much as I can. Yeah, so not being manipulative isn't. No. Oh, I'm going to use this to my, yeah, you, coming from a place of authentic contribution. Any special advice for early career researchers? Yeah, I think getting on to those organisations like Science and Technology Australia and getting into those because they've got early career representatives, that's really helpful. I think getting as much Think of the thing you fear the most if it's talking or media and lean into it because that's the thing that uh, I tend to, to not do when I was younger and I should have done more public speaking. And also don't hide in the shadows. So when I was publisher and CEO of Cosmos, it won 47 awards, it won magazine twice, twice. But my two business partners, they were happy to – I stepped back I was like, I can't stand media attention. And so they were happy to step in. I mean, not for many, it wasn't negative, but I, I let myself be in the shadows and that was a mistake because then I had to build my profile after I sold Cosmos and I should have enjoyed that profile during that point in time because it's about a long-term strategy. It's not just about, oh, I'm not into it. I'm, you know, it's... I'm, I don't have a big ego. It's not about ego. It's not anything about that. It's about profile is important for your career and you just don't know the incidental things that will come out as a result of it. And the medical research that many of our audience are involved in is amazing. Incredible. And anything we can do to get out there, bring it on. Yeah, I agree. Thank you so much for your time today, Kylie Hearn. Really appreciate you joining us in the tea room. Thanks, Wendy. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can search for us on your favourite podcast player and subscribe. Leave us a review if you like. If you have any news tips or want to chat, you can email me at wendy at medicalrepublic.com.au. The Tea Room is a production from the journalists at The Medical Republic. Visit us at medicalrepublic.com.au to keep up to date with all the latest news and views in general practice. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter. We love to keep you informed. Thanks for tuning in.